Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Well, as we get started today, I want to start out with this idea, and it's going to seem a little odd, but it will come full circle. It'll make sense. We're going to talk about something called the genetic fallacy. Now, let's look at a fallacy first. A fallacy is an error in logic or reasoning. So to give you a couple of examples, a, a, a fallacy in thinking would be, well, my cat has four legs, but a dog also has four legs. Therefore, my cat must be a dog. Okay, that, that's an error in logic and reasoning. Yes, they both have four legs, but it doesn't mean they're the same thing. Another fallacy in thinking would be, well, John works at a very successful, large business, so he must make a very large income. Not necessarily, and probably that's not true in, in for many reasons. So those are things that may seem to make sense, but the logic just doesn't follow. So the genetic fallacy is a specific error in thinking, and it's, it's really this idea. It's when someone discounts the reliability of information based on the source of the information rather than the merits of the information. So let me give you a classic, clear example of this that happens all the time. If I were to give you a news story and say, well, my source was CNN, Half the room is not going to listen to anything after I say the letters CNN. You're going to discount the information based on the source, not the merits of the information. And sometimes that's okay. However, if I were to say, well, I saw this on Fox News, half the room then is going to discount anything I say after those words because of the source rather than the actual merits of the information. We do this in some ways all the time. We do it spiritually too. Maybe sometimes we do, but a lot of people who are not of the faith, you might give someone great advice based on scripture. And so you might begin by saying, well, the Bible says blank. And they're going to say, I don't care what the Bible says. And so they're going to discount really solid advice, really good, helpful, honest information simply because they don't like the source of the information. They're going to discount what may be good and helpful and right just because of the source. This is a a, a fallacy. It's a wrong way of thinking and reasoning. We're going to miss out on so much if we fall into this trap. So we're in this final week of this series, Getting Out of Your Own Way, and we're going to look at this idea. Uh, And so as we kind of sum up this series, there's two main ideas that we're going to use this sort of thinking to jump off today and look at a scripture from the Old Testament. So when it comes to getting in our own way, here's what I found. Most, if not all, of our worst decisions are preceded by a series of smaller, unwise usually preventable decisions. So right before you blow your whole life up, you've made a series of unwise and usually avoidable decisions to get you to that point. Another thing that's true is most, if not all of the time, we have gotten in our own way 
after we've been warned. Most, if not all of the time, that we totally blow up our lives or mess up a relationship or make a really silly decision or whatever, we've been warned in advance. But the reason this ties in with this genetic fallacy is sometimes we discount really good advice because of who's giving it to us. And that's never a good idea. So we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 12 today. So if you have your Bible, we're going to read quite a bit of the story. So you can follow along today on your, on your device, the Your Version Bible app, or if you have a paper Bible, if you even know what those are, uh, they exist. I need to use mine more often. I'm too busy on the screen looking for stuff uh, on the Bible. And I'm like, I, I was telling somebody the other day, I need to get the paper version out more. Help me memorize, I think, better. Anyway, just a little transparency there for you. I love the Bible. I just read it on my phone too much, okay? Uh, so we're going to be in 1 Kings 12, but first let me kind of talk about 1 Kings 11 just for a minute to set up where we're going to launch off today. So 1 Kings 11 is near the end of King Solomon's reign. So you, he's the third king of Israel. We had King Saul, the first king of Israel. We talked about him a lot in this series. Then King David, we talked about him also a lot in this series. David's son Solomon then is the third king of Israel. He reigns for 40 years, and 1 Kings 11 is near the end of his life and the end of his reign. So what he's done at the end of his life here is he's really straight away from serving God. He's straight away from worshiping God as he's meant to be worshipped because he's building all kinds of temples of worship to other gods. Kind of a big no-no here for the king of Israel to be doing. He's also building a lot of monuments to himself. He's building a, literally a graven image to himself, breaking a lot of commandments here, king. And so God's kind of like not cool with all of this. So what's happening is Solomon is using a lot of the young, strong men of his country to build all these temples and monuments, and he puts a man named Jeroboam in charge of the labor force. Jeroboam is very faithful, he's capable, he's able, and he serves the king well. Well, one day Jeroboam just happens to meet a prophet who gives him a prophecy and what the, what the prophet does, he takes off his cloak and rips it into 12 pieces. He hands 10 of the pieces to Jeroboam, and he says, Because King Solomon has not followed me and my ways, I'm going to rip 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel away from him and give them over to you. And that's all we read about the prophecy. Somehow, King Solomon hears that his right-hand man has had this prophecy spoken over him, and he doesn't like that. Obviously, he feels threatened, so he makes plans to kill Jeroboam. Jeroboam hears about this plan for his life, and he flees to Egypt. Pretty smart guy. And then soon after, Solomon dies. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, okay, and these names are very similar. That's why as a kid, I was always confused by these stories. So, uh, Jeroboam is this guy who Solomon put in charge of the workforce. Rehoboam is Solomon's son, the next king. So in 1 Kings 12, Rehoboam is being coronated as the next king, and day one is a pretty rough day for him. All right, so here's what happens. 1 Kings 12, starting at verse number 1. Rehoboam, that's the king, the new king, Solomon's son, went to Shechem where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with the king, Rehoboam. Here's what they say. 
Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, give me three days to think this over, then come back for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father, Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? So it's a pretty tough first day on the job for Rehoboam. Literally day one, he has a labor dispute. Literally day one, he's like sitting on his throne looking around. This is pretty nice. And he's got like this mob of people from the union who say, we're going to strike. Figure this problem out now. So first, Rehoboam does two really, really, really wise things. First, he asks for some time to consider the matter. I don't know how many of you can relate to this, but usually a rush decision is not the best decision. Usually when I feel pressured to make a decision right now, it's typically not the best one. So Rehoboam at least asks for like a three-day weekend. Hey, it's holiday weekend. Uh, It's Labor Day. Uh, Can I think about it? And they say, sure, we'll come back in three days. Good decision. The second wise thing that he does is he consults older, wiser advisors from his father. They've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. They know how the people think and how they feel. And we'll talk about that more a little bit later. So he gets their advice. Again, quick decisions aren't usually the best decisions. Also, solo decisions usually aren't the best decisions. That's why today we're talking about voices and choices. Because when we make choices, we need voices in our lives to help inform us to make the best possible choice. So he does two great things here that are very smart, very wise. But quickly, he does something very unwise. We'll pick it up at verse number 7. It says, The older counselors replied, If you're willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. What is your advice, he asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? So Rehoboam doesn't like what, he hear, doesn't like what he's hearing from the old guys. So he rejects what they're saying and he asks his friends what he should do. Not the smartest move here. And here's, here's where this relates. And we're going to apply this in three distinct ways in just a minute. But usually when we ask for advice and immediately don't like what we hear and ask someone else, that usually means we already knew the right thing to do in the first place. Usually what that reveals is I asked this person because I wanted validation for what I already thought. I wanted validation for what I already wanted to do because I'm not hearing that from that source. I'm going to discount the source and go to somebody or somewhere else so I can hear what I want to hear. And sometimes we, we're guilty of doing that. People will tell us what we need to hear. They will tell us what they need to say, but they've told us what we don't want to hear and what we don't want to do. And so instead of just saying, oh, I don't want to, we say, oh, I'm not going to. That's what Rehoboam does here. And so we'll pick it up. We'll kind of finish off this story and look at uh, some more verses here. First Kings 12, we'll pick it up at, at verse number 12. So he goes back to the people. So three days later, Jeroboam, the leader of the group here, the workers, and all the people returned to hear King Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. 
But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He made a decision. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. He gives a harsh answer here. And if he had read any of his dad's writings in the book of Proverbs, he would have seen this is not going to end well. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's exactly what happens to Rehoboam. Verse 16, When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded. They have a prepared statement. Okay, They have a press release, basically. They say, Down with the dynasty of David! We have no interest in the son of Jesse, that's David's father. Back to your homes, O Israel, look out for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home, but Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah. And here's a summary statement. Verse 19 sums up the sad ending to this decision. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. This one choice by the king on day one ripped the kingdom in half. So you might think, well, how did Israel go from one kingdom north and south? It was a labor dispute that the king botched terribly. It was him not listening to one source and rejecting their really smart, really wise advice and going on a source that he preferred, even though the advice was terrible. It had deep, deep consequences. So there are times when we read the Bible, and we think, that's really hard to understand. And then there are times we read the Bible, we think, that's really hard to apply. This story is not one of those occasions. This story translates perfectly to where we live, and how we live, and how we make decisions. So what I want to do for a few minutes is look at really three, key, three ways we can apply this story, three keys to making the right choices by listening to the right voices. So we want to avoid the mistake that Rehoboam made here to not get in our own way. And these three, they all start with the letter A to make it easy to understand. So the three keys to making the right choices by listening to the right voices are affect, access, and accept. Those are the three keys, affect, access, and accept. So number one, affect. The first thing when making a choice or having a choice to make is to understand that your decisions never only affect you. We don't live in a bubble. We don't live in a vacuum. What we do has consequences beyond just ourselves. And Rehoboam found this out super harsh, super quickly. One decision split a kingdom that he was in charge of. This is on him. And, what, and it wasn't just, so we know that he made a decision that was going to put him in the best position for himself. Well, I'm going to show them I'm in charge. I've got to start out strong. It's day one. I'm not going to be a weak king. I'm not going to pull back. So instead of just keeping things how they are, I'm going to make it even harder for them so they really know who's in charge. But I don't think that he considered their response. Clearly he didn't. He never considered the effect it would have on the people. And he certainly didn't expect that their response would have an adverse effect on him, or else he would probably not have made the decision that he made. So we're, it's the same with us. Again, we don't live on an island or in a bubble or in a vacuum. What we do has effects. So for, let me just give you a few for instances here. So for instance, when we lash out in anger at, at someone or our, our spouse or a neighbor, 
we're thinking about how we feel at the moment. Well, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm trying to get my point across. But that has an effect on the other person involved. They may be now filled with fear. They may become very uncomfortable around you. It may sever a relationship because of one decision. It has other effects besides just on us. Sometimes, you know, at work, we'll, we'll tend to kind of slack off or skip steps because, well, I want to just get this thing done. I just want to get to the end point, but we skip steps 7, 8, and 9 to get to 10. Guess what? That's going to have an effect on coworkers that have to fill in the gaps that we just didn't want to do. So what we do is not just about us. There are also positive effects uh, to this. It's not just all negative, but maybe, you know, this year things were tight, so we're not going to go on vacation, family. We're just going to have to stay home and just deal with it, you know? And so in the short term, we're going to think about how, oh, that's terrible and that stinks and that they're going to not like me anymore and they're going to, I hate you, Dad. You know, you're so cheap, Dad. You know, they're probably going to say things in the short term. But then when it comes at the end of the year and we're not stressed about money because we didn't blow that money on vacation, then the benefits are there long term. It has effects beyond just for me and beyond just the here and now. So we want to be like Rehoboam was at the beginning and take time to consider options. Weigh the alternatives. What might happen if I do this? What might happen if I choose that? What would happen if I actually said what I was thinking to them right now? What would happen if I didn't bite my tongue right now? What would happen if I sent that email right now? Those types of things we have, to, we have to consider. It's not just about how I feel or my perception or what I think. It's about how it's going to affect those around me as well. It's a huge key in making choices. The second one is about the voices, though, and that's this idea of access. So my encouragement today is that you need to give access to people in your life who have nothing to gain from you and nothing to lose from you. This is the big mistake that Rehoboam made. So the the voices that you let in are everything. The voices that you give access are everything. So Rehoboam, first, he asked the old tried and true advisors of his father. Smart move for a lot of reasons. Again, they're older, wiser. They've been there. They've done that. And even when you think about an organization, they're sort of maybe middle management. So they're going to have their ear to the ground a little bit better to hear what the people actually are saying. Because the people, now they do, they've had enough at this point. So they approach the king directly and say, hey, we're done. We quit. Typically, though, they would go to the advisors and say, hey, can you talk to him? Because we're really struggling here. We're really angry here. We don't want to do anything, but we're going to. So if he can have the ear of those people, he's going to get a really clear view of what's actually going on. How the people actually feel. An unvarnished reality. And the old dudes work for his dad, not for him. They have nothing to gain or lose by telling him the truth. Hey, the people are kind of fed up. They worked on your dad for 40 years. They're tired, and their kids are now tired, and they're not going to put up with it anymore, and so you need, to, you need to cut it out. They don't have anything to gain or lose. They're not going to get promoted or demoted. They're not going to gain or lose access. They're kind of the old guard. They're retired, you know, like they're sipping on fruity drinks under palm trees, okay? Uh, they're playing the steel drum, Kenneth, right? So that's what they're doing. They're hanging out, having a good time, and he comes to them for advice. They can give him that advice. Then when he goes to his buds, his crew, not, it's like two levels of, of stupidity here. He goes to his friends who clearly are going to tell him what he wants to hear to keep the access that they have. And they also are his advisors. They do work for him. So he's saying, hey, people that I employ, what decision should I make? The awful one I don't want to or the easy one that I really want to? What do you think they're going to tell him? 
You're going to think, yeah, you should probably lighten the load. You should probably get rid of all this free labor. You should probably just take it easy. They're going to tell him what's going to make him feel better. What's going to make them look better? What's going to get them promoted? What's going to scratch his ear and what he wants to hear? And that's what he chooses to go with. But it's important that we find the correct voices to make the correct choices. And the kind of voices that I'm talking about are what I would call neutral. People that don't have anything to gain from you or anything to lose from you. This is not always easily done. But it's important that we have those kinds of people. Because some people do want to flatter you. In essence, they want to use that relationship with you to gain something. Maybe you have some notoriety in a certain circle they want to get into, and they're going to, they're going to pump you up all the time. They're going to say whatever they think you want to hear so that, you will bring, they will, so that you'll bring them in closer. So we, have to, we don't want to push out the source completely, but we have to consider the source and what's going on. Some people, especially like family that you ask for advice, they're going to tell you maybe the easy thing to do sometimes because they don't want to burden you, they want to make it easier, but it may not be the best advice. It may be they think that they're helping, but really it's going to make things harder. It's going to make things worse, even though they don't intend for that to happen. Sometimes they're like, oh, if I just tell them the, the easy thing, the obvious thing, then they, they, won't hate, they won't hate me. You know, I'll get a gift at Christmas or whatever, that kind of thing. But then there are some people, unfortunately, who are out to sabotage People who are going to give you the wrong advice on purpose. Maybe they're competitive. Maybe they're jealous. Maybe they're vindictive. Maybe they're holding a grudge. And so you don't know that really, but you come to them for advice and they give you the worst advice to try to trip you up. Again, we don't want to throw out the information solely based on the source. We'll talk about that in a second. But we also do have to consider the source. We want to try to read people and their motives as much as we can. We can't always do that. I can't read people's minds. But if I take enough time to stop and think and consider the source plus the information, then I can hopefully make a better choice after listening to that voice. We want to have, as often as possible, neutral voices. Nothing to gain, nothing to lose, just truth. Whether I want to hear it or not, whether it's the easy thing or not, it's just the best option. So that's, that's what that is, the access that we have to give people. Uh, the third idea, the third key to making the right choice is based on hearing the right voices is this idea of accept or acceptance. So then we're going to bring it back full circle. We want to then accept or reject information or advice based on the merit of the information or advice, not strictly the source. Yes, consider the source. We have to, but at the end of the day, we have to consider what the actual information means, what the options really are telling me is at stake here. And so we don't always like or appreciate the source, okay? Because you might say, well, they're way too young. They don't know anything. How are they going to tell me how to handle that? They, they've not, they're like 19 years old. What do they know? You know, they just stop, you know, picking their boogers. It's like they don't know anything. And then on the other hand, some of us, can be like Rehoboam. What does this old person know? Like, they're not with it anymore, you know? Like, that's how the life used to work, horse and buggy, okay, you know? Uh, what, is it, what is it? Okay, boomer is the new thing that, that the youths say now. Uh, even though if you're, if you're not a boomer, like, Jackson calls Kim a boomer all the time, and she's confused because she's not a boomer. Uh, but anyway, uh, and we're not talking about Oklahoma either. Uh, anyway, Tough crowd, tough crowd. Okay, so you're just really, we're just too deep in this to be funny right now. So anyway, so they're too old. They're not with it. I'm just going to read. They have great wisdom. That's what Ray Bohm did. They have great wisdom, great advice, tried and true. It'll work, but I don't want to listen to the old fogies, so I'm not going to listen to them. 
Or we would say, what do they know about what I'm going through? They've never been there. They've never been divorced. They never had to be a step-parent. They never lost a parent. They never led a business. They've never been ministry. What do they know about what I'm going through? They don't. So because they, they don't know what I'm dealing with, they've not been there where I am, I'm going to reject anything they have to say. That can be a mistake because sometimes we need that outside voice to see what we can't see in the weeds. Sometimes we're too emotionally invested in a situation we're too, like, in it to, we have blinders on, or we're just so tired that we're just, whatever's going to get me across the finish line, that's what I'm going to do. But we need people from the outside that maybe haven't been there before to speak truth. We need people that maybe are younger or older to say, you know what, that's really not a good idea. You should do this instead. It's not about age or experience all the time. It's about the information. And on the other hand, sometimes God may give you something to speak to someone or he may really instill in you, hey, this person really needs to hear this. And sometimes we're like, no, nah, I don't really know them that well. That, they're going to think I'm weird and they're not going to lie. And it's like, what do we have to lose, right? We're that neutral voice. I can speak truth to them without worrying about what they think about me because I'm just speaking truth. So we want to be careful that we accept uh, even if we don't appreciate or like the source. And sometimes we don't actually like the advice because sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes advice reveals a flaw that I have I don't want to admit. And if I make that decision or that choice or that correction, I have to admit flaw. I have to admit frailty, and that means weakness. It really just means we're human, so that's okay. Or we're faced with really an unpopular choice. Someone's going to be upset either way. That's all I'm hearing is this information. They're going to hate me if I do this. They're going to hate me if I do that. I can't win. But eventually, if we want to get out of our own way and stay out of our own way, we have to make a decision. We have to make one. And so we don't want to fall prey to this genetic fallacy. We want to consider the source, where it's coming from, yes. But in the end, we have to weigh the actual information we're given and say, this seems like the best for everyone involved as much as we're able. Let's go that route and see what happens. That's what we're faced with. So as we close, I want to read one more scripture and kind of not only sum up today, but this entire series. Because maybe throughout the last few weeks, you've been thinking, okay, this is great practical everyday advice, but what does this have to do with maybe following Jesus? Or how does this help me grow as a follower of Jesus? Or how I, I get, you know, it helps me at work or with my family or my spouse or whatever, but how does this, what does this mean on a spiritual level? Well, first of all, it's all connected. Right? We're, we're holistic beings, so it's all there together. But one more scripture will reveal, I think, really the heart behind this entire series. It's Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, a very famous passage of scripture from Jesus. He says this, Jesus says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Why are we talking about getting out of our own way? What are the spiritual implications of this? I want you to catch this. God wants you to succeed, okay? God wants you to get out of your own way 
and stay out of your own way. It's not just what's good for you or what's best or what's the path of least resistance. It's like God is cheering you on in this endeavor to get out of your own way, to make the right choices by listening to the right voices. And even when it comes to God, we don't appreciate the source. We, re- we refuse the source. Well, the Bible's just a bunch of rules, right? Or God's just on a power trip telling me how I have to live life. And so sometimes we actually reject the source of all wisdom because it, we just don't like it. Or we reject what he's saying. Sometimes we read scripture or hear a sermon or read a book and we're like, ugh, that reveals something about me I don't like. And so I'm going to reject this wisdom from God. I don't, ooh, I don't like the way I feel judged or I feel like I can't measure up or I feel less than because, you know, I, I just can't meet this impossible standard that God is always trying to push down my throat. But again, God wants you to succeed. It's not that he's on a power trip. It's not that he's trying to strong arm anybody. It's not that he, you know, doesn't know that you're going to mess up. But he promises he'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's big. That's a good source. He promises he will never lie to us or mislead us. It's a pretty good source. And if he is truth, then it's, it's, it's going to be good, uh, a good voice giving us the best choice. So in the end, God knows what is best for all of us. And he knows that his way is the best for all of us. And so what he's saying, ultimately, yes, you want to have those voices in your life, people around you to help guide you and lead you in the right way. But ultimately... He wants us to hear his voice to then make the best choice. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week as we start a new series about how the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. But it's important that we hear the voices of wisdom around us and ultimately hear his voice because he wants the best for us. He wants us to, and this this is the key, hearing God's voice before we make any choice is, I think, the best foolproof way to getting out of our own way.